Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Bankrupt billionaire Sean Quinn opens up about his downfall and regrets. The County Cavan businessman speaks to Claire Brock for us tonight in a wide-ranging interview where he says he has no money. I cannot bring money to the grave with me. So all I want people to know is the truth. And if people believe me, that's all I want. I don't care about money. And the FAI chief stands by soccer manager Stephen Kenny and also reveals more about Vera Powell's departure from the national women's side very clear in relation to telling Vera that's uh, what we were going to do. She wasn't happy with it and again that is just a difference of opinion. She didn't, that isn't what she wanted but I took the decision um, that we did and we took the decision that we did and to deal with it after the event, after the tournament. Once Ireland's richest man, but now bankrupt border billionaire Sean Quinn claims he has no money. The County Cavan businessman has written a book telling his side of the story of the events which led to his financial downfall. Claire Brock went to meet him at his home in Ballyconnell. Sean Quinn turned 77 last week and today marks another milestone. The businessman is talking to me at his lakeside home in Ballyconnell in County Cavan on his book's launch date. He'll launch it close by in the Schlieve Russell Hotel, the property once owned by Sean Quinn, before his businesses crumbled. In the book, he charts the collapse of his empire, but he also says he wants to uncover wrongs he claims were committed against him. Sean Quinn, you have a book out. It's called In Your Own Words. You want to tell your story uh, for the first time, you say. And I noted at the opening of the book on the first page uh, a, a saying that was there, a quote. Yeah. A lie doesn't become the truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. That's right. Why did you pick that particular quote? Because I think it's apt. You know, I think the lies have been told. I think they don't, they don't become the truth. And just because people believe them doesn't necessarily mean they're right. And people like yourself and the media generally have told this narrative for the last 15 years and I just tried to correct it. So that's the sort of why I wrote the book, that I felt it was important that the real story was told. And I, would be ho I was hoping that maybe the, the, the journalists would pick up and question me on what I'm saying rather than what has been said for the last 15 years. So did you write the book for you, or did you, did, I wrote, who did you write it for? I wrote the book to set the record straight because, as I've said in the, in the beginning of the book, there has been a... I had never had any intention of writing a book. Writing a book was the last thing in my mind until after the Kevin Lunny incident. 
And I suppose that was the final straw because I was after being damned by everybody for years before it. But all of a sudden, when I was seen as being responsible, the paymaster for an abduction of uh, one of our staff, well, I suppose that was the final straw. And I just said to myself, you know, this has to be corrected. And then there was a guy supposed to do a documentary to fill the public in on what the real position was. But he turned as well, and he went anti, and he went on to the herd mentality with the rest of the journalists. And he Is that how you see it, a herd mentality? Yeah. That's all piling on you? Yeah. And why? Well, I suppose the government blamed me from the start, even though it was them or their agencies that would have supported the share support scheme. So that was the first thing was illegal. Me buying CFDs, 100% legal. Absolutely nobody has ever questioned that. CFDs are more popular today than they were that heavy. But a massive gamble. Well, did anybody see, did you see buying shares in a blue chip company? Did you see that as a gamble in 2005, 6, 7, 8? We know the way it turned out, it was a gamble, and we know it was foolish, and we know that I was too fond of Anglo-Irish Bank. I've never denied that. Why, I don't know why would it be called a massive gamble, because if you buy a farm or land or you buy a house or anything, you pay roughly a 20% deposit on that, on, on that investment. I paid a 20% deposit on the CFDs, so it was quite similar. So I didn't see any huge gamble, but as it turned out, it was a disastrous gamble. So do, do you accept that it was a, a poor financial decision? You know, you moved away, I guess, from operating the companies, which you did very successfully, employing thousands of people, and you looked to other ways um, to, to generate to generate money, and well, then contracts for difference came into play. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I'd, I'd accept it was wrong, so um, we know the history of it, so I can't argue anything else. Of course it was 100% wrong, because we lost 100% of our money. But the money we lost was about $630 million. The money the Irish government lost was 2.34 million, which they allowed Anglo to put into their own share price, which was illegal in every country in the world. They done it through the Quinn Group, so they loaned the money as, as uh, what they call it as working capital into the Quinn Group. 2.34 billion of working capital into the Quinn Group, and then the Quinn Group put that money into the shares in my family's name. Now, was I in favour? Was I against it? No, I wasn't. So I'm not trying to deny that. But it was them done it, and it was them. But you, but you were okay with it. I was, yeah. And okay with it happening. I was, yeah. And it went into your but company and resulted in what three billion euro. No, but hold on, a, hold on a minute. I'm not, I'm not running the government. That was me. I was reading the government is running the Anglo Irish Bank. The government is saying that this is, and the regulator, this is one of the most successful banks in the history in the world. So I, I bought the shares on that basis. But at the end of the day, what it resulted in was three billion euro worth of losses and uh, court wranglings and how all of that played out for you uh, and you, you you being found in contempt of court being jailed for a time all of that played out really badly exactly. for you didn't it exactly exactly it was do you regret <coughs> the way that pl course, played out of course I regret how, how your name went through the courts and what judges had to say yeah, about yeah, you yeah, and your yeah, family's yeah, yeah. behaviour. But, but what the judges never said was, the Irish government supported Anglo in allowing them to put in 78% of the losses. The Quinn Group, Quinn family put in 22% of the losses. The Irish government put in 78% of the losses. Not the Quinn family. They put it in. And why did they put it in and why were they found innocent in that? I mean, at the time it was done, Judge Charlton said that if it was an illegal act, taking over the company 
was compounding the illegality. Mm. What about but what no, Justice no, Elizabeth no, no. Dunn had to say on jailing you for contempt, saying you only had yourself to blame? That's right. That's right. Judy, Did you only uh, have yourself to blame? I mean, do you blame yourself for no, uh, anything that's occurred? I blame myself for buying Anglo shares. The first thing should have been done was who we took assets, we own assets, the family owned assets in India, Russia, and Ukraine, bought our own money. No, nobody ever questioned that. But our own money that was taken out of dividends, out of Quinn Insurance in the previous five, six years. Fact. Undisputed fact. Now, how in the name of God could Anglo claim those? They never paid a penny for them. How could Anglo go and claim those assets? But there was a court order in place there. Fine, 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 but before that court... But you, you believe it was fully justified, your actions? No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. In, an, in a fair court process, wouldn't the first thing you'd have to do is see who owned the assets? So if assets, if, if Anglo stole our assets, were we not entitled to take them back? I, I was put in jail because we managed the assets, but we always managed our assets. We managed all the assets, and we felt we owned the assets. And of course, if somebody takes your assets, you try to take them back. Are you are you at peace with it now? Very much or so. Very much you so. Are. Very much so. The last week or two has been tough enough, falling out with one journalist, and uh, a lot of meetings and discussions. But I'm looking forward to tomorrow. When the, to, tomorrow it'll be all over and done, and the book will be out there. The launch will be complete, and I'm very very happy that may say the story is out there. I'm not worried. I, I'm not worried, Claire, whether people believe it or whether they don't. I want the people that knows me, my own family, my own neighbours, my own friends, my own staff, and the people from the locality that knows that I was a decent man, run a good operation, never took a penny in my life, didn't belong to me. I think they, they need an explanation that the people around here feels there was an injustice done against me. The people in Cork or Kerry, they can't possibly know that because all they're doing is reading in the paper. Does everyone around here feel an injustice was done? Well, the vast majority. And what about the others? Well, sure, look, you're, in no society you're going to get 100% agreement on anything. Uh, I'm, I'm asking that because of how the acrimony spread beyond the boardroom and filtered right into the community here. What did you think of the protests, the anger directed at the US investors, the new, the new, the new directors? Um, there was a campaign of intimidation. What did you feel about that? Sorry, I don't know where you're coming from on this. Sorry, you may, you may, are you saying... Initially there were protests, but those protests escalated. Could I try to reframe this? Are you asking me what the people in the area thought of my ex-management taking over the company and putting me out of it? They thought it was horrific. They thought it was the greatest level of betrayal in the history of the state. And I think the facts prove that. It was real, real betrayal. I mean, I hired those guys. I hired those guys to manage the administration. Myself and my colleagues, we managed the businesses. We managed, we, we managed the business with 78,000 people. And managers was making t 10 million pounds a week of profit. These guys were supposed to be managing the administration. Mm -hmm. and that's there was, all, a, there that's was a deal done there, though, Sean, wasn't there? Like you were hired as a consultant... Uh, you were barred from owning shares in the company, and you agreed to that. It may have been reluctant, but you, you agreed to that no, deal. No, no, it was done behind my back. It was a 141-page document 
never seen it. It was all done behind my back. So you didn't sign anything? No. So what were you told? I was told it would be done for me and the community. And they took it themselves. That's not, a, that's not an argument. That's not a discussion. That's, the stuff's in the book. It's, the stuff's in the book on that. I mean, that's a fact. Okay. So there was no, no, there was no deal as far as you were concerned not at all, not that at all. you would in you, fact, were, you it, would be employed as it, a consultant. Oh, there was. Oh, there was agreed that I'd be employed mm. as a consultant until such times would come into my own name. But in the 141-page document that done behind our backs, they put it in not just a, they said that we could never be involved in it. We could never be involved in the business. Mm. And this nobody seen this document until after after we went in. And the simple facts of it are, these guys betrayed me, my family, the workforce and the community. Fact. The, the, the community felt that way as well and people were really, really angry around here. And yes. The placards went up and the protests took place. Yeah. All of that escalated then and there was threats and there was intimidation towards the new directors. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some would say that while you know, you said you condemned it, that there was sort of a, a silence there or more could have been done. You could have said more, you know, stop this now, it's gone too far. The pig's head outside the family home of Kevin Lunny, a step too far. You know, a, a house in Dublin being, being firebombed, too much. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I've said that all along. That that have you said that, do you, do you believe you could have said more there? You, so, you could have said more to stop it or to well, influence no, those who I were carrying never, it out to stop it. No more than the share support scheme or any of that, I was never going to start to tell lies. I was never going Are you regretful, though, of, of the, the, the volatility that was created and at times of a violent atmosphere that actually spilled out into to real life violence? If you are saying to me that telling the truth is incitement, well, then the question I would ask you what is telling lies? Because I was telling the truth. Everything I said was telling the truth. I guess I'm just talking about the attacks and, and the threats and but the intimidation. Is, but one thing that, that, that a word from you, you know, to a, a community that was very influenced and very fond sure, of you sure. might change things. And Pat O'Neill wrote to me better. Pat O'Neill wrote to me to ask me for that letter. And I replied to him and the replies in the book. So I mean, was that, was And I, you said I asked him what world he was living in. So are you sorry for what happened? What happened the directors and what happened? I'm sorry for what happened, Kevin Lunny. Kevin Lunny was a decent man. I had a good time for Kevin Lunny. Kevin Lunny didn't betray me. Kevin Lunny and I were good friends. And Kevin Lunny, when other boys jumped ship, Kevin Lunny came and visited me in the house here and talked to me and met me. And Kevin Lunny was, I was closer to Kevin Lunny than any of the other directors. On the abduction and assault of Kevin Lunny, that was four years ago, and um, a warning came from Justice Tony Hunt at the time of the conviction of three men in relation to that, saying that the mystery paymaster who funded that abduction and assault could face life imprisonment if convicted, and that the trio were prepared to do dirty work, but they weren't those that organised, financed, or potentially obtained significant benefits from these crimes. Who do you think Justice Tony Hunt was talking me, about? Me. Me. Who's up with me? What did you think when he said that in court? What did I think when the eager of a priest said it of, of the altar? Mm. So that's where it started. Okay, but we're talking about judiciary here. We're talking about the special criminal court, Justice Tony Hunt. Yeah. You know, 
everybody believed it. So the media were all over it. Quinn, 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 Quinn. And if there had to be even 1%, you know, if it had to be in the vicinity that has any phone records of those, anything to link me, even 1%. If there was 1% linkage, I could understand how people could develop that. But to start it with zero and to finish with zero, not a scintilla of evidence that I, any hand act or part of that, or hold on, or any other wrongdoing in my life that I ever abuse or hit or get involved in any such violence in my life, nor did any of my family. The judge said the paymaster... Well, he referred but to it, a paymaster and you said... You oh, say I believe it was me he was talking about. It. Why do you but, believe it was you? Sure, he hadn't a clue what he was talking about. Why did you believe it was but you Serena, he was referring to? Which, who else could he be? <laughs> Dublin Jimmy was dead, or was he? I don't know whether he was dead at that time or not, but whether he was or whether he wasn't, who else was, there were only two names mentioned, it was Sean Quinn and Dublin Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So who, who else could he have been talking about? But even your own children, and you say it in the book, I do. asked, and were I said you it, involved? Yeah, yeah. And I, Did I, that I, anger it, you? No, it brought tears to my eyes, and it brought tears to my sister's eyes when I told her, I never told you a lie in my life, and I'm not going to tell you now, and we embraced each other, and she was crying because... She was seeing what was said at Mass and what was said in the papers with the there and yonder, and she said she felt there must have been something in it. And I said, Bernie, I have never told you in my life, and I'm not going to start telling you now. I had no hand like that part. I don't know anything about it. Not zero. And she believed me. And the people in the area, when I told them, believed me. But the media didn't believe me. And the boys in Derry Lane, I know as well as... Well, I don't know for sure. I'd be 99% Kev convinced that Kevin Lunny knows I had no hand act or part in his abduction. I know that. Have he, you talked to him? No, nor will I. Why not? Look, it's gone too far now. Did you talk to him following the attack no. in 2019? No. No. Why not? He had turned. He had turned against me at that stage. He had turned against me in 2014-15 and I suppose that was it, so there was no point, and I wasn't, I wasn't going to run after him. Like, he, he turned... He, didn't, he, was, he, he was the victim of a vicious and savage attack. Did yes. you think to reach out to him? No. No, we didn't. commiserate with no. him and I, I, see I, how I, he was I, doing? I, I passed it through. Joe Finnegan rang me on that morning and told me about it, and I said it was a barbaric act, and I haven't changed my mind one bit on that. That's, well, it was a barbaric act to go to attack somebody going home from work. But at the end of the day... They distanced themselves from me. They moved and they threw me at the door. I was never going to get involved again. I, was, I, I wasn't going to go looking for, for offering sympathy to anybody. You said, you know, that there was a clamour, that there was, a, you know, an atmosphere in the town and that everyone from politicians to the local priest to your own family were questioning you about this, this, this attack. Um, and then the, the link or suppose the fact that you knew Dublin Jimmy. I mean, did that... Yeah. How I mean, did you find that you're 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 kind of smiling at that now? Did you do you find sure, it humorous? Sure, sure, sure. It's 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 an absolute no no. Sure, I had no hand act or part. I didn't know anything about it, and I wasn't going to get involved in it. You were the richest man in Ireland in two thousand and eight. You were a very rich man all around that time. Hugely successful. So you talk about the thousands of people you employed. Um, you were declared bankrupt by twenty twelve. How's your financial situation now? Oh no, I'm not. On the, I'm not. I'm not heading to the Riviera very often at all. So I have no money. But I'm not worried about that. The first tour of my life, I had no money. 
the last tour of my life I'm going to have no money. In the middle of it I had a lot of money. But I'm very resilient and all I want to let people know is I cannot bring money to the grave with me. So all I want people to know is the truth. And if people believe me, that's all I want. I don't care about money. I'm asking, uh, do you have money because there's Quinn Bet, there are other there are other business interests still ticking away. But I'm not, now, in, I'm not involved in any of those. Okay. So no. what, what's life like now for you at the age of 77? Uh, you said in another interview that you haven't the price of a bag of spuds. <laughs> well, that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but if you're asking me have I tens of thousands, the answer is no. But you could also ask me, when I was supposed to be worth, or the family was supposed to be worth four and a half billion, did I have 100,000 of cash that time? I never had money. I never had money. Money was never important to me. Success was important. Mm. Employing well, you people was important. Well, about 4.7 billion euro. The company was worth seven. I didn't have any money. I, I never took money out of the company. Mm. I always reinvested the money. We, we, money was of no interest to me. I mean, what I would, the, the legacy I would like to leave, leave behind me is building the Steve Russell, building glass factories, cement factories, insurance companies in one of the poorest areas in Ireland. Somebody else came in on the side, took them off us and destroyed them. Okay. That's fine. But at least I want to be remembered for my part and, and all the people that helped me in building those assets. And that's what I want to be remembered for. And, and not as a crook. Is that how you think you're remembered in some quarters? In some quarters. In some quarters, yeah. By whom? Well, um, <laughs> a good few people, particularly the civil service, the people I've got thousands of letters here, uh, the farming community, and the business community would know there was something wrong and they would know that there was two sides to this story. I just finally want to ask you, uh, what now for Sean Quinn? What now for you? You've written few, the book. A few beers tonight. A few beers tonight. I intend to enjoy, enjoy life much better from now on. This is off my back. The people that hate me, I don't expect them to change. The people that respect me, I want to give them security and I want to give them the assurance that they were right in respecting me and I want, to give them, I want them to have the access to the book and it'll be there for my children and my grandchildren and anybody who wants to support me or believes me, the evidence is there. Anybody who doesn't want to believe me, they can find some other way of ridiculing me. Claire Brock there speaking to Sean Quinn earlier today. Next, more on that botulism outbreak which hit World Cup rugby fans, including an Irish man and Hunter Biden, son of US President Joe Biden, is indicted on gun charges. We'll bring you the very latest. Very welcome back. Now, U.S. federal prosecutors have indicted Hunter Biden, the son of U.S. President Joe Biden, on gun charges after a plea deal fell apart. A court filing in the U.S. District Court in Delaware alleged Biden illegally obtained and possessed a Colt revolver in October 2018 after falsely declaring that he was not a user of or addicted to narcotic drugs. Nick Harper joins us from Washington now for the very latest on this. Nick, can you give me a bit more background to how these actual charges came about? 
Well, it's certainly been a turbulent few months for Hunter Biden. All of this dates back, as you mentioned, to that 2018 gun purchase in a gun shop in Delaware. The problem was, at the time, he signed a bit of paper that allowed him to purchase that gun, which said that he was not using drugs when, in fact, he was. So he's now been charged with three offences. Uh, two for making false statements, that's the signing of that document, and the third for owning a weapon when being addicted to drugs. Now, back in June, there was, at one point, a plea deal, a plea deal that would have seen Hunter Biden pleading guilty to two misdemeanor tax offenses, then going into a drug rehabilitation program, and all of that would have allowed him to dodge this gun charge. That fell apart. A special prosecutor was put in charge of this case, and as a result of several weeks of looking at it, they've now come forward to say that he will be charged on three counts for these gun offenses. You said there there was almost a plea deal and it fell apart. Why? What led to its collapse? Well, a judge took over the case and essentially reviewed it, looked at what was being offered to Hunter Biden and thinking that quite simply too much was being offered, that really this was a deal that should not have been struck in the first place. And that's where we saw things begin to unravel. It would have been a deal that would have not led us to this situation, having, uh, for the very first time in US history, a sitting president having a child uh, indicted on charges. But as a result of that falling apart, we're now at that point, just a few weeks later, an unfortunate situation for Hunter Biden, but also one that puts his father, the president in a tight spot. So at the moment we have these charges, what's the potential outcome here and what's the strength of the evidence? Well, we're told that these type of charges normally don't get brought against a person. They're not considered very serious charges. However, bear in mind that if these charges do go to trial, that looking at, at past experiences, it is often the case that a suspect, if found guilty, would then be jailed. So we're now at a point where there are these legal wranglings going on behind the scenes to try and ensure that it doesn't go to trial. Because to have a sitting president's son jailed would be very difficult for President Biden. Biden at a time when he's launched a re-election campaign and trying to get re-elected next November. So, on the surface, these charges themselves should not be that serious, but the fact that it is likely to end up in a court case with potential jail time around the corner makes it a much more serious prospect now for Hunter Biden. And what has the political reaction to all of this been from both sides, Nick? Well, it's one that, as you'd imagine, the Republican Party have leapt on. They've been pushing very hard in recent months uh, to try and find some sort of evidence that would uh, stick against Hunter Biden, against the Biden family. You may remember just a couple of days ago, the Republicans launched officially uh, formal impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden. That all in relation to business deals that his son, Hunter Biden, did during the course of uh, President Biden's vice presidency under Barack Obama. However, the White House on the other side and the Democratic Party have been trying to step away from this. The White House essentially said they had no comment earlier and referred the matter to the Justice okay. Department. President Biden, who made a speech just uh, about an hour after this indictment was announced, made no comment and didn't refer to the charges against his son. All right, Nick Harper, thank you for bringing us that update. I am joined by John Lee, the executive editor of the Daily Mail here in studio. Uh, I know you're pretty fascinated by the story. You have been following this for the last couple of months. But I'm wondering, 
you know, Hunter Biden has had a very troubled past and it was something that came to the fore and was talked about time and time again during the initial election campaign for President Biden. It didn't seem to do him undue damage. So how much of a shadow does this potentially cast on this second campaign? It, it's potentially very serious because in the current crucible of American politics, this will be used against the president. The, pre the current president has been the anti-Trump he was going to clean up the presidency. Now he's going to become embroiled in this controversy connected to his son. And we know with special prosecutors, they often go after a lot of issues that have nothing to do with the, the initial case. There have been allegations of um, discussions of business deals between Joe Biden and his son. Um, not, pretty, not, not very serious in the past, but now could be. So Donald Trump certainly will capitalise on this. All right, I just want to move on to another uh, story. John, who's going to stay with us in studio. Uh, that's the Mayo-born husband of a woman who died as a result of complications caused by botulism is still being treated in hospital in France. The Irish Embassy in France is advising people who may have eaten at a particular wine bar in Bordeaux to consult a doctor if they're feeling sick after this particular outbreak. 25 people are sick after they ate at the restaurants. The outbreak is being linked to sardines that were on the menu. Well, for more on this, I'm joined by Dr. Brendan O'Shea, who's an assistant professor at Trinity College Dublin and a Kildare GP. Thank you for joining us. This is incredibly rare, but clearly potentially very, very serious. What exactly is botulism and how does it impact a person's body, doctor? Uh, well, it's an absolutely shocking experience uh, for the 25 people who are involved. Uh, this is a classic uh, botulism outbreak. Um, typically happening in a restaurant, uh, consuming food, uh, and particularly food that might have been prepared uh, very, very locally uh, or in a small producing, uh, a small producing uh, process. Uh, so uh, it's, it, the, the causative organism is Clostridium botulinum, which is everywhere. It's out in the gardens. Uh, it's an animal manure and largely doesn't do anything very much. It occasionally produces spores. Uh, and if the spores get into the human body, either through consuming food that hasn't been well produced or sometimes through wounds, uh, the spores produce a neurotoxin and that is what starts producing the symptoms. So these people sat down for a meal uh, on September the 4th uh, in Bordeaux on the Chin Chin restaurant and in a classic piece of good public health, uh, the outbreak has been located there. Um, and typically within... 12 to 24 hours and up to six or 12 days afterwards, they can begin to experience the symptoms. Uh, and the symptoms, they begin to feel unwell, a feeling of weakness. Uh, sometimes it can be associated with dry mouth. Uh, then you get neuromuscular um, involvement, and that's what the toxin does. The toxin interferes uh, with the way uh, nerves interact with muscles. So people can get funny symptoms, drooping eyelids, uh, double vision. Um, uh, they become unsteady, other muscle groups are involved uh, and, and the, condition, the condition evolves. Um, it's been known about uh, for around 200 years. Um, up to the middle of the 20th century, the case fatality rate was in the order of 70%. You had a 7 out of 10 chance of dying. Uh, now, with early diagnosis, uh, rapid use of antitoxin and the use of mechanical breathing, uh, the fatality rate uh, is, is, as, is as good as 1 in 20. Uh, but it's, it's a, a frightening condition to have, and our hearts go out to everybody who's involved there. 
to our, our to, to the rugby fans out there, um, you have a much greater risk of a road traffic accident uh, and a, a serious alcohol-related accident. Um, so um, it's just important to keep it in perspective. But again, it's a, an absolutely frightener for the people involved. All right, Dr. Brandon O'Shea, thank you for bringing us that information. This is a, a really shocking, shocking case. We know that uh, one woman has lost her life because of this and that there is an Irish man who is still in hospital uh, and many other Irish people being treated. John. Well, the Irish connection was that um, the deceased woman was married to a man from uh, Castle Bar. Uh, the HSE has issued a statement. It's, it's, it's not clear how extensive everything is at the moment, but they have said that some Irish people um, are suffering from botulism. We don't know what gravity of um, their situation is right now, but of course, it's a very unusual that they would issue the name of a, pre of, of a restaurant like that to obviously assist in tracking down anyone who may have passed through that particular establishment. Um, we know that this has been linked to sardines that were sold in the restaurant. We understand that they canned those particular foods in the restaurant themselves. Do we have any idea how the authorities there responded to this case, how they identified the restaurant and what they did with that restaurant? Well, it seems from what the doctor has said and from, I suppose, from our experience, we've all become a little more experienced with how public health operates um, through COVID that once the people presented themselves at a hospital and gave, and gave information to the authorities about, about their movements, they could zero in on, on that establishment. Now, the question is how many people, um, and a particular interest to us, how many Irish rugby fans may have been there on, on, the, on the evenings that um, the infected food was available? I don't know if Dr O'Shea is still with us at the moment. I'm just wondering if he is. Hi, Doctor. Is this, you know, co more common in the restaurant industry in other countries than perhaps it would be here in Ireland? Is there a greater threat there? Well, the numbers involved are so small, it's kind of a little bit difficult to draw clear conclusions about that. Um, typically, there are about 1,000 cases per, per annum globally that we know about. In France, typically they'll see 10 or 20 cases a year. So it, it's very hard to draw conclusions. But certainly the activities that lead to this, um, you, would, you, you can speculate. Uh, France food production is very complicated. Uh, there are big producers and lots of small producers. Uh, the terror concept, uh, where things are, are done and made locally, canning and bottling, these are the activities that are associated and create the circumstances where that the organism produces the spores. Um, so, uh, so you could speculate maybe that the, the risk is greater where you've got a more complex food industry. Uh, taking it home, uh, we're very fortunate in Ireland. We have such incredible uh, food production, uh, so many different types and done so well. Uh, this highlights the importance of good, uh, safe working practices. Uh, there, there are lessons in it for all of us. But again, you know, I think for the people who've been directly involved in this, an absolutely frightening experience uh, and we really have to wish them well. Yeah, and I know there has been an appeal by the HSE for anybody, any Irish fans who were in the area who ate in this particular restaurant to come forward if they are feeling uh, any symptoms and to get that diagnosis as quickly as possible. It was the restaurant Chin Chin, uh, a wine bar and bistro. Uh, it's been absolutely closed down. Uh, the, this meal was consumed on the 4th of September. So any, anything um, around that time. All right, look, we'll have to leave it there for now. But uh, Dr. Brendan O'Shea, thank you for speaking with us this evening. Now, up after the break, the FAI is standing by soccer manager Stephen Kenny, but not by Vera Pau. Why? We discuss.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, Stephen Kenny is going to remain in charge of the Republic of Ireland soccer side until at least November, according to Jonathan Hill. The FAI CEO addressed the media today and also said that Vera Powell's removal as Republic of Ireland manager was due to a fundamental difference in approach between her and the FAI. Speaking with Virgin Media Sport, Jonathan Hill confirmed contract talks were taking place before allegations about Powell's conduct while manager of Houston Dash resurfaced in June. The allegations in relation to the athletic resurfaced and they became part of the narrative in relation to the press conference and indeed in and around um, in, in around the camp and with yourselves as the media and that's when the decision was taken as I say to have everyone concentrate on the task in hand and we were very clear in relation to telling Vera that's uh, what we were going to do she wasn't happy with it and again that is just a difference of opinion she didn't that isn't what she wanted but I took the decision um, that we did and we took the decision that we did and to deal with it after the event after the tournament well John Lee is still here with me and to discuss this further. I'm also joined in studio by Off The Ball broadcaster Nathan Murphy. Nathan, you're very welcome to the programme. First of all, how unusual is it for the FAA to set up a press conference like this to discuss these kind of issues? It is quite unusual, but this is a new FAI, so I don't think we can compare to anything that's gone before where all decisions like this were made basically on the whim of one man. John Delaney made the decisions. This is a new FAI board. It's a relatively new FAI chief executive. Jonathan Hill's in the position about two years. And Mark Canham, who was there today as well as the new director of football, it was the first time that he has spoken. Jonathan Hill has been quiet in recent months as all of these controversies started to surface from that athletic article back in June through the World Cup. He was in Australia. He had promised journalists he would talk to them. That never happened. And then he didn't speak the night of the board meeting when the decision was made not to offer Vera Powell a new contract. So it is unusual. You rarely hear the IRFU sit down and talk like this, but then there's not usually the level of interest of governance level of the IRFU as there is with the FAI because I think we're, of what's We're looking for a whole new level of transparency from them. Exactly. And we got it today, I suppose, in terms of their reasoning for not renewing that contract with Vera Pau. They seem to be saying that her style of management, her style of football didn't align with theirs. But I did think when I heard that... Well, you knew her style of football when you gave her the contract. You liked that style for the duration of her contract. And at one point, we were lauding her management style because it brought us to the World Cup. So what changed? 
Absolutely. And I think for an awful lot of people looking on over the last few months, they're very confused as to how this woman who led Ireland to a World Cup for the first time, who became such a leader for the women's game, the progress that's been made over the last couple of years, how something just turned and the FAI decided actually they went to the World Cup, performed well, maybe not as well as they would have hoped, but a very tough group and certainly didn't let themselves down how then they decided not to offer a new contract. But it's clear that in June, new allegations surfaced in The Athletic. And it's not necessarily, I think, what was in the allegations from her time at Houston Dash. It was the timing of them that appears to have changed everything and certainly changed her relationship with the squad. Mm -hmm. So these allegations came out just before the final friendly against France, just a couple of days before they headed off to Australia. And dominated the press conference oh. and seemed to get all the players back up. Well, Katie McCabe at the end of that press conference stood up and made a sarcastic, thanks for all the questions about the World Cup, because there were none. It was all about the Athletic article. And Vera Powell had spoken with the Athletic. She was aware that this was coming. And again, remember these allegations had first surfaced last December. The FAI had backed her instantly without Vera Powell having even read the report in full, had backed Vera Powell, had moved on from that. So I think that changed the relationship. And issues that were small issues seemed to become big issues and minor quibbles became much more than that when they were in Australia. Uh, what they also spoke about today was this post-World Cup review that they carried out, which I don't know if they carried out in after competitions uh, that the men's football team would have taken part in. But they seemed, as part we of this never, review, we to... Qualify. Well, that's, uh, let's say, in the, the past, in the past. They seemed to sort of consult the players and staff and ask questions about... Vera Powell's management style, and that's where some of these issues seem to have, you know, come forward. Did they give Vera Powell an opportunity to respond to those? And is she right to sort of feel slighted, given the fact that perhaps in the past they didn't consult players and staff to this extent about a manager's contract and whether or not it should be renewed? Well, I think there was no consultation um, with uh, sports administrative bodies and, and anyone um, in the past. So I think the FAI have kind of run themselves into a corner here trying to be all lovey-dovey and let's, let's be inclusive of everyone. I personally don't really have a problem that if someone's contract is up, uh, things aren't going well, um, the manager moves on. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a serious soccer fan and I view a culture where managers are pretty expendable. Um, I know she did relatively well I think the only reason the men's team manager isn't being fired today is because they're in such a mess and there is, a, and Nathan will correct me if I'm wrong, there is a severance issue, uh, they're not going anywhere and he's been kept on till the end of his contract. So um, I think a little bit much is being made of it. And, and also one could look at it as there is potential with the women's team and if things had become... and. I, I won't use the word toxic, but if things had, had become bad in the dressing room, that is a crucial issue. If, if, if the manager's dynamic with the team or part of the team or part of the squad is not good, then if there's potential in that squad, you move on. OK, so was this really then, do you think, Nathan, 
about a personality clash more than anything else in the end? In the end, uh, when things start to go sour and relationships break down, there was maybe a sense within the players that they had a bit more freedom to talk. Because as you say, the things that the FAI had lined around training methods, approach to fitness and conditioning, those things have been there for the last 18 months, two years. Like, And people would say, that's what worked. That's what brought us to the World it, Cup. It did now. It would have been seen as quite old-fashioned. Some of her thoughts, like she didn't like the players' weight training because she felt it contributed to injuries, whereas at their clubs, that would have been an absolute norm. But again, the FAI, remember, were in negotiations around a new contract. She was expecting to be offered a new contract at the beginning of June, mm-hmm. and suddenly that didn't come. But again, I think when we're talking about why this is such a, a story, it's because of the level that she rose to within this country. I don't think there was a manager who went to that World Cup who was as respected within their home country as Vera Powell. She was arguably no, she was the most hero. famous mm-hmm. face, more so than Stephen Kenny, more so than Andy Farrell over the first six months of this year. She was so popular with people. So I think a lot of people on the outside are looking and going, well, what's changed? But it's clear there were things underneath the surface over the last couple of years. And when, when you're winning and when things are going well, players don't like to rock the boat. Things obviously broke down. The FAI have said that they didn't interfere while they were over there, that it's important that the CEO has a relationship with players, but at the same time, you don't want to overstep the mark. She would claim otherwise. But she absolutely did. She said they were interfering and they undermined her authority and all that. The FAI denied that today, and that's important that they were able to have conversations. They said they didn't get involved in team selection or anything anything like that. But uh, Vera Powell, with this new plan that they have under the director of football, that was never going to work with her. She is very much her own lady. She has her own vision of what should be done and she wants to stick with that and doesn't want any interference. And the FAI's new director of football is the one who's going to be calling the shots in terms of the replacement, in terms of the coaching staff on both the women's side right now and on the men's side either in November or sometime next year whenever Stephen Kenny eventually leaves that role. Um, we did invite Vera Powell onto uh, the programme this evening and that invite remains open. I suppose you do have to wonder, John, if the FEI hadn't made this decision, if they had renewed her contract and she had lost the dressing room, where would we be now? Well, you know, it's 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 football. You know, I'm sure that I'm sure they progress, but she is gone now. So um, the, the the task of of getting a replacement uh, is is ongoing. Um, I've been to a few League of Ireland games of late. I hadn't been for years, and I thought the atmosphere around them was a lot better than 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 it had been. There was a bit of optimism that came with the women, the women's team that's dissipated now. Um, I would be more of a follower of the men's team, obviously, just because of the generation I came from. And I'm not asking you about big, your optimism that levels was the big around game, that team at the and that is, I mean, that <laughs> is... end the week on a positive. That is horrific. And um, I cannot understand how how people would think that it's it's OK to let a guy go on for a couple of months because it's going to cost... OK, what do you think, Nathan? I, I don't know if the financial side of it is the overriding factor here. I think there's no real rush to make a decision on Stephen Kenny. There's still an outside possibility they might get a playoff, but also none of the leading contenders are rushing off to another better gig anytime soon. So they can buy their time, do a review. What would be interesting is the sense talking to the players is that they would actually back Stephen Kenny, that the players are relatively happy. Like Stephen Kenny, again, going back to the previous regime under John Delaney, Stephen Kenny is having to deal with the fallout of years of underinvestment, the fact that we didn't so have So do the players, players get to call through. the manager then? No, I don't, but the players will be spoken to in the review again. I don't, I don't think so at all, and I think Stephen Kenny... Uh, is you know very much backs to the wall at the moment, and it's highly unlikely that he will survive. But if they were to get a playoff, he may well get that, and that could change things. But there's no doubt that the depth of talent that's there with the men's team is way, way below. Well, the other side, the players years. back him. That's a problem too. I mean, if you're backing a losing manager, is that because it's gotten so bad that you're in the squad 
and he'll stay and he'll stay on. And I thought Didi Haman said something um, very good, very interesting the other night in in post match uh, review where he said, you know, Saudi Arabia um, beat uh, Argentina in the opening match of the, of the World Cup. Are they player game. for player? Referring to our our pool of talent, are, are is our pool of talent that much worse? in Saudi Arabia and you know we, we have managed That's before That's not a fair comparison though Saudi Arabia the investment they put into football is light years beyond what we put in in Ireland the population of Saudi Arabia and we have had as I say years and years of underinvestment. we've got a brilliant crop of young players coming through we might have the best 18 year old in the world in Evan Ferguson so things are going to get better And you think, and you think Stephen Kelly is the right person to try and bring that team better places? I think when you look at the results it's hard to make the case but I think it would have been a struggle oh, and hard. might well be a struggle for whoever comes in next as well. All right, I'm also players play in England which is, which is a far more progressed country. Than uh, we'll Radio come back to that spoken. topic. There's clearly more in it but that's it from us tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and from us all here on the team. Good night. Take care. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.